0: Hi, this is Arielle Jack, Student Ministries Director here at New Life Church. Thank you for joining our podcast today. I pray the following presentation encourages, challenges, and inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy the message. Today is our third week in our latest series about the story of David. Now, David, we've said it before, he's a complicated character. All right, he's complicated, and the reason that David is my favorite Bible character is because I'm named after him. That's the only reason. No, because I I think everybody who analyzes the life of David can say I, I get I get that I, I'm not perfect, but I want to be I want to be better. Uh, I'm not perfect, but I you know especially in the church world men. I, I don't know how to do all this stuff, but I want to do what God wants me to do. I want to be that. And David is is, is a great example of a man who was flawed, deeply flawed, but yet uh, lived his life in hot pursuit of the heart of God. So the big idea today is this. This kind of builds off of last week. As we enthusiastically face life's challenges, we must trust in God to champion us while we pursue high moral standards. that's We're going to unpack that a little bit, uh, obviously. But the concept is we need to trust, big words here, trust God to champion us while we pursue high moral standards. Okay? As representatives of God, people are watching to see if we will maintain high moral standards, even in difficult times. If you put on the badge of Christian, people are going to watch you to see if you are going to act like one. Even your enemies are those who are antagonists. They might, you know, pick that scab that wound, just to see if you're the real McCoy. Okay? So we need to trust God to champion us as we hold high high moral standards. Today's message is entitled, A Virtuous Heart. Now, why did I pick that word? I went all over the place trying to figure out the proper word for this title. Um, So virtue comes in here, and I want to explain virtue to you. Virtue is having a or excuse me, having or showing high moral standards. It's a good word for this. Similar words, righteous, good, moral, ethical, or upright. All right. Psalms, Psalm seventy eight is kind of like a microcosm of David's life. It says this, verse 70. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the hold, folds From following the nursing ewes, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. With an upright, or for the sake of this message, virtuous, because that's let's say, uh, is a synonym, with an upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful. God used David. Let me say this. God used what was in David and took that small thing, the ability to shepherd sheep, and he pulled it out. He pulled out amazing things. That not only was he shepherding sheep, that he could shepherd his people. And that's why Jesus, the Messiah, is likened unto the Good Shepherd. If you look in the first century, when Jesus was born, shepherds were not highly looked at. So when we talk about Jesus being the good shepherd and oh, he's a shepherd, it's, it's hearkening back to David, not to the modern day shepherds of Jesus's time. Shepherds of Jesus's time were not even didn't even have a voice in the court of law. They were they, they couldn't even they were they were despised. So when we see Jesus as the good shepherd, what we're doing is we're harkening back to this messiahship of David. Okay, so that's interesting uh, and something we we have to understand. From the moment David defeated Goliath, we talked about that last week, from that moment on, Saul saw him as a threat to his throne. Ever, uh, when you think about Saul, you got to think about, remember this whole concept of of the, the spirit of God coming on David and then an evil spirit from the Lord coming on Saul. Right, and if you watch the uh, rewind, you kind of understand what that kind of looked like. You listen to the word rewind. This concept of the vacancy that was was uh, was inhabited by these evil spirits. Anybody ever get a song stuck in your head? Is there anybody have a song that like regularly gets stuck in your head? Anybody? No. Okay. Uh, what does a song do? when you have a song stuck in your head, what does it do to you? To me, it brings me back to that moment, right? It's like a song, when you hear a song on the radio, it's like, whoa. I just blinked out for a second and I was like in high school for a second. For me, it was like Matchbox 20, right? I mean, that's, that's like, yeah, yeah. So, uh, I don't know what your era was, but Matchbox 20 was mine, (laughs) all right? Goo-goo dolls, right? (laughs) But, uh, If if songs do that, and they'll play over it, they can almost get, like, annoying. They at least annoy my kids. Dad, pick another song. Because I'm just singing the song throughout the morning in the the car. Dad, at least sing the verses. Just don't sing the chorus over and over again. Uh, (laughs) But songs that get stuck in your head. Um, Saul had a song that he couldn't get out of his head. Like, literally. And it was driving him crazy. Uh, we're going to read a lot of scripture today. So uh, we're going to start in 1 Samuel chapter 18. Uh, and we're going to kind of move fast through these different verses. Because um, it's it's the narrative of, of David's exile. Okay, so we're going to start. One, many of these will be on the wall for you. But 1 Samuel uh, 18. Yeah, right here. Look at 18. Uh, starting in verse 6. I'll give you a moment to get there. And uh, this is what we're going to find out about Saul's uh, record playing in his head. All right. This is right after David and Saul come back from killing Goliath. Ready? And the truth were coming back when David was returning from killing the Philistine. The woman came out. The women came out from all the cities of Israel to meet King Saul. To meet King Saul, singing and dancing with tambourines and sh- with shouts of joy and with three stringed instruments. Very sp- specific there as they danced the women sang saul has killed his thousands but david his ten thousands and that's the chorus that rings in saul's ears and he can't get it out of his head saul was furious verse eight he resented the song so i believe that this evil spirit that uh, tormented Saul, played this song on repeat through Saul's mind over and over and over and over again. Okay, uh, jump to verse 12. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had departed from Saul. So he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men. And David led the troops in their campaigns. So he gave this this young man an army to, to lead, and the in, implication here is that he wanted David to get killed in battle. Okay? So he didn't have the blood on his hands. And everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. Saul has killed his thousands. David is ten thousands over and over and over. Jump to chapter 19. 1 Samuel 19, verse 9. But an evil spirit from the Lord came on Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand while David was playing the lyre. Now, this is, a, this is a sign of some very disturbing mental issues on Saul's that are compounded by an evil spirit. It took the proximity of David, who had the Spirit of God in him, using the using music to soothe Saul, to keep Saul from just going into uh, tirades and, and and just going crazy. But this is David in the proximity of Saul. This is what happened. Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear. But David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. You think your boss is bad. The next day, David made good his escape. Saul sent men to David's house to watch it and to kill him in the morning. But Michael, David's wife, warned him, if you don't run away tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michael let David down through a window, and he fled and escaped. Now, jump over to chapter 22. I know we're going quick. We're going quick through this. Now, David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers, now the brothers that despised him, right? The brothers that despised him, the, brother, the father who di- kind of disowned him, right? When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. They're like, okay, we see what you're doing. All those who were, listen to this, this is really kind of funny. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented, gathered around him. And he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. See, David is inspiring a motley crew of distressed, indebted, distressed, indebted, discontented degenerates. He's drawing all these people who have been uh, displaced or indebted by the government. And they flock to David, and David shepherds them into one of the most elite fighting forces in Israel's history. There's, there's, there's stuff about these mighty men that is just, it's almost tale esque These guys become this elite fighting force. But David was a shepherd, and God brought him out of the sheepfold to shepherd his people. And he used David's abilities to guide this motley crew of men and and form them into something great. Saul is so incensed by this time that he just literally goes on a killing spree. He executing anyone who would aid David, including, listen to this, including 85 priests from the town of, of, of Nod, Nob. They, 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 they helped David, and Saul had them murdered. And it, and it goes even further than this. Listen to this. He also put to the sword the town of Nob, the town of the priests, with its men, and women, its children, and infants, its cattle, donkeys and sheep Saul is hearing David has killed his 10,000s and it's driving him crazy All right First Samuel 24 Open your bibles First Samuel 24 I'm going to read this to you. We're going to read the whole chapter. Because this is the main text for today. All that was just precursor. (laughs) Here we go. Now after Saul returned from a battle with the Philistines, he was told that David had gone into the wilderness of En Gedi. So he took 3,000 special troops and went to search for him among the rocks and the wild goats of the desert. At the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, Saul went into a cave to go to the bathroom. It's in the Bible. Saul's bathroom habits are in the Bible. All right? Um, Saul went to the cave to use the bathroom, but as it happened, David and his men were hiding in his porta-potty. So to speak. Right? David and his men are in the back of the cave. They're in the back, and Saul comes in. And here's the interesting thing. This is the only time and place where Saul would not have a guard. Think about it. This is the only time. This is the only place where Saul would be alone, completely alone. All the time he's surrounded by a king's guard. So he's vulnerable. Ready? Here we go. Now's your time, David's men whispered to him. Today is the day the Lord will take, uh, talked about when he said, I will certainly put Saul into your power do with, do, uh, to do with what you wish. Then David crept forward and quietly slit Saul's throat. No, no, that's, that's what, Saul's robe. Oh, robe, robe. Sorry, I read that wrong. So David, David crept forward and quietly slid off the bottom of Saul's robe. But then his conscience began to bother him. I shouldn't have done it, he said to his men. It is a serious sin to attack God's chosen king in any way. These words of David persuaded his men not to kill Saul. After Saul left the cave and gone on his way, David came out and shouted after him, My Lord, the king! And when Saul looked around, David bowed low before him. Then he shouted to Saul, Why do you listen to these people who will say that I'm trying to harm you? This very day, you uh, you have seen this isn't true. The Lord placed you at my mercy back there in the cave, and some of my men told me to kill you. But I spared you for i said i will never harm him he is the lord's chosen king so what i have in my see what i have in my hand it is the hem of your robe i cut it off but i didn't kill you doesn't this convince you that i am not trying to harm you and i have not sinned against you even though you have been uh, hunting me for my life the lord this is important ready the lord will decide between us. Perhaps he will kill you for what you've trying to do to me, but I will never harm you. As the old proverb says, wicked is as wicked does. But despite your wickedness, I will not touch you. And who is the king of Israel trying to catch anyway? Did he spend his time chasing one who is worthless as a dead dog or a flea? May the Lord judge as to which of us is right and punish whichever one is on who is guilty. He is my lawyer. He is my lawyer and defender. And he will rescue me from your power. Just just pause there. For a second. He is my lawyer and defender, and he will rescue you from me from your power. Saul called back. Is it really you, my son David? Oh, see, his tone has changed here. My son David. Which he actually is because he married Saul's daughter. This is, this is like Shakespearean. It's crazy. Then he began to cry. And he said to David, You are a better man than I am, for you have repaid me good for evil. Yes, you have been wonderfully kind to me today. For when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. Who else in the world would let his enemy get away when he had him in his power? May the Lord reward you well for the kindness you have shown me today. Can you see what's happening here? David's enemy is actually asking for a blessing of God on his head. That's crazy. So not only did David not. sin in touching or or hurting God's anointed, but he got a blessing out of it. A blessing that will come to pass. Interestingly enough. And now I realize that you are surely going to be king and Israel shall be yours to rule. Oh, swear to me by the Lord that when that happens, you will not kill my family and destroy my line of Descendants. This is a common practice that happened with a change of regime in the in, in that ancient world. Is that when a new king came to power, he would just decimate the family of the one previous so that there was no conflict there. Uh, and last, so David David promised. And Saul went home, but David and his men went back to their cave. See, David is upright, but he ain't stupid. He's like, huh, I don't know about this. I think we should stay in the cave. <laughs> I'm not going to go back to uh, to the capital right now. I can tell you that much. We'll, we'll see how this thing plays out. Okay. So that's that's the story that I want to kind of talk about when it comes to virtuousness today. David leads by example. He refuses to harm God's anointed because he knows that he too is. God's anointed, and he wants people to honor the position, he must set a high standard of virtue. What would it say to his men in the long term if he's like, yeah, it's convenient, let's off him? What are they going to do to the next guy? You know what, David's not doing so good, you know, we should probably off him. Well, David did it, why don't you know. I mean, it's, it's an example that he sets of, of high moral standard and virtue to the point of making him uncomfortable. It's not convenient for David to let Saul live. His men are feeling it. They don't like living in a cave. They'd like to go home to their families and their farms. But they're living in a cave because Saul is hunting them. If David were just David, just do it, man. Come on. He's right there. He's right there. David won't do it. His men have a hard time seeing David's point of view. Think about it this way. David, this is how things are done. You know, come on. you off the other guy, and you take the position. This is what every nation around them would have done. Right? If every nation jumped off a bridge, would you? The parent in me starts. You know. They're saying, this is the way it's done. This is business as usual in the pagan kingdoms around them. Every king is built on the bones of the kingdom before him. This is normal. If someone is persecuting you, And you see a way of getting rid of him? It must be the favor of the gods. Right? That's that's how we would rationalize it. If I can get some, I'm going to, you know what I'm saying? What's wrong with taking matters into your own hands? Pastor, aren't you always telling us guys we need to take more initiative? I'm just doing what you said. It's not what I'm trying to get across, but um, now David is not perfect. I keep clarifying that because it's very important. David's not perfect in his pursuit of virtue, and God must step in sometimes to, to help David out in his thickness and give him some assistance in, from time to time. Now, in the very next verse, you'll see this. Uh, he has a moment of just like Saulness in him, uh, but that's another story. Um, Having a virtuous heart looks at more than just instant gratification. Virtue demands a higher morality than that of personal comfort, pleasure, or convenience. It also acknowledges that morality is not merely a human construct but is imparted to us by God. He is the righteous judge. David says it to Saul. He says, listen. If I'm wrong, if I'm wrong here, may God judge me. But I am not going to be the, the judge, the jury, and the executioner of you. Let God judge between us. Doing what is right is usually not the path of least resistance. I'm going to give you a little a uh, little thing that you can like, kind of use as a rubric for whether something's virtuous or not. If it's super easy, it's probably not. If this is this path is going to lead, I man, I can if I can here, 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 and here, boom. I'm not saying it always is the case, but I would check it. Check it. it the road of, uh, of, of pride and the road of self-worth, the road of all those things that lead, it's a very slippery slope. You can get easy, you can get down it pretty easy. But being virtuous is an uphill climb. It's trying to to look at life from a higher perspective. And no matter where we are on this climb, we can always go higher. No one's going to be perfect on this outside of Christ. But it's always a pursuit. That's why we're talking about David being a a man that's in hot pursuit of the heart of God. He's not perfect, but he's uh, he's just always trying to climb that mountain. Virtue is a mark of the one who is in pursuit of the heart of God. Philippians 2, 4-8 through 8 says this, Everyone should look not on his own interests, but rather on the interests of others. You see that, how that correlates? It's not just about you. Virtue says, I may have to deny myself in order to help somebody else. I may have to deny myself in order not to Take retribution on somebody else. Virtue often is us looking on, the, on the, um, the needs of others rather than our own. And then Jesus makes a high bar. Verse 5. Adopt the same attitude that is in Christ Jesus, who existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself By assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to the death on a cross. David could have said this in the... Wait, Samuel visited my house. He anointed me king over Israel. He took, he put his spirit inside of me and he took it out of Saul. It's time to cut more than hems. I'm going to take this in my own hand and I'm going to fulfill the destiny that God has for me. But that's not the mind of Christ. It's not the mind of God. Jesus said, yeah, I am the king. I am the king in all my splendor. But I would lay that down to the point of death and the cross for you. There's no higher example of virtue. Romans 12, 17 says this Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to what is honorable, virtuous in everyone's eyes. If possible. Now, this is here. I love this verse because, yes, there are some verses that kind of let us off the hook a little bit. All right. It says this If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. It doesn't say that you will live at peace with everyone. (laughs) Some people are going to be Saul in your life. No matter what you do, they're going to have a, a song playing in their head that you are not worthy of their care, love, and respect. Guess what? You can't change that. You can't control them the only thing that we can do is control this so as much as if possible as far as it depends on you live at peace with everyone friends do not avenge yourselves instead leave room for God's wrath because it is written vengeance belongs to me and I will repay says the Lord now that's a quote right out of Deuteronomy chapter 32 that is in that scripture. But what does that take? That takes us really, practically trusting in God. If we don't really trust in God, if this thing is kind of a game to us, we don't really think God is involved in our lives or cares about us to the level uh, that he does, I believe, then we can't do these things. But if we really trust that God is our avenger, our defender, and our hope, then we can, we can give it over. We can give it over, and we cannot retaliate. We cannot avenge ourselves. So you might ask me the question, so pastor, am I just supposed to like let people walk all over me? No! Neither did David. Remember, he stayed in the cave. Right, He stayed in the cave. I'm saying, if you're in a, a toxic situation and you have a problem there's people against you, it is completely fine for you to try to find a way out of that situation. If there's, an, if there's abuse in your life right now, you don't have to take it in the name of Christ. You can, you can leave that situation. but it does mean that you can't retaliate in kind. David didn't sit around and wait for Saul to put a spear through him. No, he left, but neither did he take the opportunity to put a spear through Saul when he had the opportunity. See the difference? He escaped through the window. He left to the wilderness. He stayed in the cave. But when he had an opportunity to do exactly what Saul tried to do to him, he didn't take it. Matthew 7, 12 says this, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. We might know this as the golden rule. And we we have a different rule in practicality than what we read here. The rule is in our practicality, do to others what they're doing to you. It's okay. You're justified doing something to somebody else if they are harassing you. What do you expect me to do? They're harassing me. How how should I respond? If if, Whatever you wish others do, what you would like to see them do to you, how you would like them to treat you, that's how you treat them. That's what the golden rule is. This is exactly how David acted as a... uh, in a couple chapters later. Now, Saul, this time when Saul's, you know, using el baño here, the bathroom, this is not the only time this happens, believe it or not. And a couple chapters later, under similar circumstances as in the cave of Engedi, Saul is brought under David's power again. Let's look at that real quick. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but uh, David goes, uh, uh, ch- turn to chapter 26. Saul is, um, Saul is out with his army, and David finds out where they're at, And they are just sleeping. And David and his uh, elite guard sneak through the camp. They sneak through the camp. Nobody hears them. David actually attributes it to a deep sleep brought upon by God. Nobody hears them. He gets right up next to Saul. And Saul has a water jug by one side of his head, and he's got his spear stuck in the ground ready for action <laughs> on the other side of his head, okay? So David literally could have done exactly to Saul what Saul tried to do to him, to pin him to the wall, in this case, pin him to the ground. David didn't do it. David took the water jug, and he took the spear, and he left. And verse 22 it says, And David said, Here is your spear, O king. Let one of your young men come over and take it. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. The Lord gave you into my hand today, and I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord, and may he deliver me out of all tribulation. He could have done. Exactly what Saul was trying to do to him, and he didn't. It didn't mean that he was going to allow Saul to continue to uh, try to pin him to the wall, (laughs) right? He's going to get out of the proximity of that toxic uh, environment, but he will not take the Lord's prerogative into his own hands. I mean, we would call this, you know, if, if we were there, if I, okay, I won't bring you into this. I won't bring you into my own sin, okay? But if I were standing there and this guy was keeping me from my family, my my livelihood, my men's livelihood and their families, and I was on the run living in uh, caves, and I was standing there with Saul's spear in my hand, we would call, again, I don't know about you, but I might call that poetic justice right Saul tried to pin him he's gonna try he's gonna pin you. it's it's so easy to justify those moments but David trusted God to champion his cause. Saul had a song that was playing in his own mind over and over. Saul has killed his thousands. David is 10,000. And that song drilled so far into his psyche that it drove him crazy. But David, see, David had a, had a better outlet. David actually could write songs. So instead of just having that one song that somebody else told you, David wrote his own song. And he played them over and over again in his own mind. Let me read one to you as we close this message down today. This is the heart of a man after God's own heart in in this circumstance. Psalm 59. It's entitled, God, Our Stronghold. A song of David when Saul tried to kill him. That's what it's called. Number one. Rescue me from my enemies, my God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Rescue me from evildoers. And save me from men of bloodshed. Because look, Lord, they set an ambush for me. Powerful men attack me. But not because of any sin or rebellion of mine. For no fault of mine, they run and take up a position. Verse 16. But I. But I will sing of your strength, and I will joyfully proclaim your faithful love in the morning. For you have been a stronghold for me, a refuge in my day of trouble. To you, my strength, I sing praises, because God is my stronghold, my faithful God. Put that song on repeat. Put that song on repeat. It's a totally different heart. Yes, the enemy's coming against me, but you are my stronghold. I will rest in you. I will go to you, and I will let you fight for me. Why? Because you've always been faithful. You've always been faithful. God, I thank you for this day. God, I pray for my brothers and my sisters in this room today. Because this is such a practical message. And the fact that we deal with this every single day of our lives. We're always going to come up against people who are going to try to tear us down or or make us, uh, try to defeat us in some way or shape or form or, or bring us down. Yes, we might not be pinned to the wall with a spear, but it feels that way sometimes. God, I pray that we would be men and women of a virtuous heart. That we would honestly and truly, in practical applications, trust you and treat people the way we'd like to be treated. To have the same heart, the same mind, the same attitude that was in Christ Jesus. That we would be humble we would elevate you even in the moments of our own difficulty. That we would not seek seek the easy path. But Lord, that we would seek to be a virtuous people, putting others above ourselves. This is not an easy ask, God. And it can only be accomplished when your spirit rests on us. Send your spirit Empower us to do the things that we cannot do on our own. We give you praise. glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I hope you enjoyed our podcast today. To find out more about New Life Church or to plan a visit, go to our website at discovernewlife.org.